Amen. Thank you, Brother Moore. Thank you, Brother Moore. All right. We're looking again in Philippians chapter number 1. And I'm going to read verse 9 through verse 11. And our focus tonight is going to be on verse 11. And I've spent some time on this because I've been sharing with you that uh, praying for others is one of the best ways to sow to the Spirit. To sow to the Spirit. And of course that comes from the 6th chapter of the book of Galatians. And I started preaching through Galatians a long time ago when I got to the 6th chapter and I have just got hung there thinking about ways to sow to the Spirit. Sow to the Spirit. And prayer is an important way because it is the Holy Spirit that burdens our heart for the things we need to pray for. And so uh, I begin reading in verse 9, and I want you to remember this. I had shared with you that if you wanted to take notes and write down these things that we can pray for, things we can pray for, because in the Bible we find where they are being prayed, where they are being prayed, And if the Apostle Paul felt led to pray for certain things, then surely I can pray for the same things. And he's praying for the Philippian Christians here in this passage of Scripture. And it says in verse number 9, And this I pray, so it is specific. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in judgment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ. And then our text verse tonight, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Unto the glory and praise of God. What a motivation. If we really love the Lord and we care, then what a motivation. And so this is an awesome verse that we have here. I'd remind you that in the past I'd shared with you from the word abound. Love may abound. And we went through the Bible and found where that word was used and it is to exceed a measure, to go over and above. And oh, I'd like for you to know tonight that this is something the Bible says that can grow. We know what it's like to have the love shed abroad in our heart in salvation and to think that it can grow uh, and abound yet more and more. Then we looked at uh, the limitation that's found here, and it says in knowledge, and so we do not grow beyond that which we are learning, and as learning is a part of growing. Learning the Bible is a part of growing. Growth uh, is, will be stunted in a lack of understanding of the scriptures. It's just the way it is. And so that's the limit that's there. And then I come to the uh, reward of that. Is there a reward for growing? Is there a reward for growing uh, in our love? Our love for each other, our love for the Lord first, then our love for each other, and our love for that which is Uh, of interest to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, His kingdom and His cause. And how can I promote that? And how can I be a part of that kingdom growing? 
And so all of those things are involved in that. And so uh, one of the, one of the uh, rewards was judgment, and that's not judgment like the judgment of God, but it is discernment. We grow as we grow in love and we grow in knowledge. We grow in our ability to discern what is right, what's wrong, what's good, and what's bad. And then uh, part of that reward is that we may approve that which is excellent. Of all the things that are good, we can approve the things that are better among the good and that we can be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ. And so that's the day that Christ is going to come back. Everything's going to end. And so we want to be without offense for that. Then we come to verse 11. And I just think this is an awesome verse. And this is part of the reward of our growing. Now, I, I know I can speak for myself. As I shared this morning, I got, was in a discussion with one of our men about what it was like when I first come to know the Lord. And I remember really well, it's been a long time, a long time ago, I think about 57, maybe almost, maybe 58 already years that, that I could think of, and how that early on in my experience with the Lord, I neglected things. And I did, I neglected things. I, I was, I guess you could say, not using that as an excuse, but I was a babe in Christ. I was on the milk and not on the meat. As time went on, I got weaned off the milk, and I got on the meat. And, I, and this growth thing that I'm preaching about, it happened to me, as I'm sure many of you can relate to. You could say, that was true in my life too. And so as time has gone on, I've made progress. I've, things have improved, and I've got more skillful about the things that I do in service to my Lord. And so that's part of the process, part of the process. And of course, many times I've thought about that and wished that early on I could have uh, known and understood what I know and understand now. I wish that I could have done that and things would have been altogether different. And there's not very many people that go that route in life. There was one young man, I remember this uh, so well, he uh, came to know the Lord, and then he surrendered to the ministry. And I, I don't believe I've ever known anyone who grew so fast. I mean, he just grew so fast. I, I remember all too well. He told me one time, he said, Preacher, I want to go visiting with you. I, I want to go with you. So he would. He would go with me. And I, and I remember this, that when we would get back home and and, uh, you know, eight or nine o'clock or something like that. We sat in the car for another hour. He just had one question right after another. He wanted to know. He wanted to grow. He went on to be in the ministry and pastored one of the largest churches in the city of Louisville. And, uh, and he continues to do that. And we're really close over the years. There's not many people who do that. Usually it's a slow process. But we can grow. We can grow in our love. Our, we got to grow in our love first. We got to grow in our love for the Lord first. Oh, for grace, just to love Him more, love Him more as time goes on. And to know Him is to love Him. I think that Sue might have told me that the other day, to know me is to love me. I believe it was her. It might have been somebody else. I agree with that. To know her is to love her. But anyway, 
knowing, knowing the Lord, rejoicing in his attributes and knowing him is loving him. And so that's part of that process. Now, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Now, do I need to define what that is talking about when it talks about righteousness? And I, and I think it would be helpful if I did, because there we, we might follow that with the question, which righteousness are you talking about? Now, if you understand the teachings of the Scripture, you understand that there's two kinds of righteousness in the Bible. There's the righteousness, and this is really neat, the righteousness that is imputed to the believer at the moment of salvation. That is, Christ's righteousness counted for me. That's just almost more than I can comprehend that that happened to me, that Christ's righteousness, in other words, uh, he never made a mistake. There was never an error. He was perfect. He was completely perfect. He lived as a man, yet without sin. And so he lived that life of perfect righteousness, and then uh, the believer, when they come to him in regeneration, that righteousness is imputed to them. And isn't it an awesome thought that when God looks upon our life, as weak as we may be, as many failures as there may be in our life, as many shortcomings as we may have, that He sees the righteousness of Christ counted for us. That's what the Bible says. It is imputed to us. But there's another kind of righteousness, and it is a righteousness that is wrought out in our life in the process of sanctification. In other words, we were, there's two kinds of sanctification. There is that which uh, we were sanctified the moment we were saved, set apart. That's one of the meanings of the word sanctification, is to be set apart. But then there's another meaning of that, and that is progressive sanctification. And as we go through life, we grow and we're more and more and more sanctified. And so that's progressive sanctification. And so that is one kind of righteousness, the kind that is wrought out in, in the process of sanctification in our life. So what is it here in the scripture? Well, let me address this matter of practical righteousness. Practical righteousness. You remember this morning I shared with you that uh, one of the marks of a true believer is the evidence of grace in their life. And what that passage of Scripture said in the book of Titus in chapter 2, that we should live uh, soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. In this present world. And so that is the work of grace in our life. We don't do that. That doesn't happen apart from that. So righteously, righteously. Now, let me uh, share with you this. The Bible says in the book of James. Now, I'm going to illustrate the kind that is practical, that which is wrought out in our life as we go along. In, in the book of James, it's in chapter 5, verse 16, it says this, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Boy, that's a good text, isn't it? The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man you say, preacher, what kind of man is he? The Bible says, of a righteous man. Of a righteous man. Then we would know when we think about that, that there must be the opposite of that. 
you know, even among people that are saved. And of course we understand that the Bible teaches that among people that are saved, if a person is out of fellowship with the Lord, you know it happens. It can happen. We may call it backsliding or whatever. But a, per, a saved person can get out of fellowship with the Lord. As a matter of fact, a saved person can get in trouble with the Lord. And I've preached that and preached it for years, that if a person is really saved and we get out of the will of the Lord, then uh, in time, he's going to rein us back in. That is what's taught in the Bible. And it is chastisement that does that. Who is it that the Lord chastiseth? The Bible says, whom the Lord loveth. He chasteneth. And so uh, every son it says that he receiveth. Does that mean that we're going to always be chastened? Not necessarily. But when we get out of fellowship with God, we're chastened. One of the disciplinary things that happens to the child of God when he or she gets out of fellowship with the Lord is that he stops hearing your prayers. Now I'm preaching about praying, but the Bible, the Bible says that he'll stop hearing your prayers. And so in the book of Isaiah, and I think it's in chapter 59, I'm not real sure about that. Uh, yeah, in chapter, yes, let me read this. Beginning in verse number one. And this is a terrible thing to think about. My prayers are not being heard. Well, think about this as you go along in life. What if something happens real fast? What if it's a matter of life and death? And you need to pray. You need to pray for someone. I've illustrated it like this. What if, uh, what if you had children and one of your children, and, and I have, I remember one lady uh, that was washing dishes. And uh, her son had a problem. He would drink a lot and stuff like that. And all she had said to me, pray for him, pray for him. She was washing dishes one day and looking out the window. And his car went down the road uh, about a hundred mile an hour on a stretch of road. He should have been driving 20, I guess. But she fell to her knees right where she was. Just fell to her knees to pray for her son. Lord, watch over him and keep him safe. And she just fell to her knees. Uh... You, you know, it happens to people. There comes a time when you need to pray right now. You don't need to take the time uh, to repent and get back in fellowship with the Lord. And, and so it's an, a, criti a critical matter. But here's what Isaiah says about that. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, neither his ear heavy that he cannot hear. Listen to this. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. And so there, there can be a time when, uh, as the Bible says, the, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, but there may be someone who their prayer does not avail much. And so it's an important thing. In the book of James in the fourth chapter. In James chapter 4, there's a passage of scripture. And here's what it says in James chapter 4. And bear with me because I <clears throat> know it's in my Bible. James chapter 4. And the third verse says this. 
you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it on your own lust. There's a situation where God doesn't answer that prayer. He does not hear that prayer that we intend to consume on our own lust. And so uh, we understand that uh, there, the situation, and I'll share with you what that situation needs to be. If you want to turn to the book of 1 John, there's an interesting verse of scripture there, and it's found in the third chapter and in the 22nd verse. And here's what it says. If there's somebody listening to the message tonight, and you would say, I'm out of fellowship with God. I've been disobedient to God, and I'm out of fellowship with Him. And I want to know how to be in fellowship with the Lord as far as my prayers being heard and answered. And here's what it says in the 22nd verse. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments. Listen, and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Is that pretty clear or what? That's pretty clear. And whatsoever we ask. What an awesome position to be in that whatsoever we ask. And somebody asked me one time, I, I, I brought a message on that passage of Scripture in Psalms 37. Delight yourself in the Lord and, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. And somebody asked me, he said, Well, preacher, <clears throat> does that mean just any old thing I might think of that He'd give it to me if I delight in Him? Well, we learn that everything we might ask Him for may not very well be in His will. And sometimes the answer to our prayer is simply no. Or it might be not now. Or it might be you don't know what else is involved in your prayer. And I've said this with, to you about our prayer life. When we're praying for somebody else, and I know that all of you are familiar with having a burden for someone and praying for somebody else. Don't ever forget, God has a perfect will for that person's life. That means that He might not necessarily do what we desire in that person's life because we don't know what His will may be. We don't know what He's doing in that person's life. And so we find from this verse of Scripture that whatever we ask for, we receive it when we keep his commandments, and do that which is pleasing uh, pleasing in his sight. This is practical rightness, righteousness. And practical righteousness is that which is brought about by our practice in life. Our practice in life. So that's what that is. But then the other type of righteousness uh, is this. Uh, prior to that, prior to that kind of righteousness... Uh, there must be a righteous uh, a principle of righteousness that is imparted to the soul. Imparted to the soul. And that is the imputed righteousness of Christ. And so that is something that's necessary before there can be any practical righteousness. You see, if a person is not saved, there is not one good thing they can do that is good in the sight of God. It may be good that helps somebody else. There might, I, I know people who have the idea that they're going to get to heaven by doing good things. They believe in a works kind of justification. And I know some people who believe like that and who are always doing something to help somebody else. 
I know a person who has, has been blessed over the years, uh, and he's a, probably a very wealthy man, and he's always helping other people. And he, he has the idea that that's something that's going to give him credit with the Lord and justify him in the sight of the Lord. Now, he ought to do that. He ought to do that. I encourage everybody to do, do good for everybody. You remember the verse in chapter 6 and verse 10, as you have therefore opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially them that are of the household of the faith. But does that, it don't necessarily mean that that's something to our credit because we do that in the sight of the Lord. It help, may help somebody else, but it may not be something. So there is a principle of righteousness that is imparted to the soul. Let me share with you a couple of passages of Scripture. Matthew in chapter number 12. In Matthew chapter 12, uh, I'll read this one. In chapter number 12, and uh, let me read in your hearing verse number 33. Now, here's what Jesus said. Now, I'm I'm talking about uh, it being right, the heart and the nature being right first. It must be right first. Jesus said, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. So you see what that's saying. The principle of righteousness. Let me give you another one from the book of Matthew. Chapter 7. You back up just a little bit to the seventh chapter and talking about the tree and talking about the fruit. The tree's got to be right first, then the fruit can be right. Here's what Jesus said uh, in the seventh chapter beginning in the 15th verse. He said this, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Isn't that something? Beware of false prophets in sheep's clothing. Sheep's clothing. There used to be a cartoon. I don't remember what that cartoon was. I don't watch cartoons, but I remember years ago that whatever these characters were in the cartoon, one of them was a wolf. And he would put on sheep's outfit Warren's shaking his head. He's watched that cartoon many times. (laughs) But anyway, and sneak into the herd of sheep, you know. And uh, every time I think about that verse, I think about that cartoon. And Warren's going to tell me what that cartoon was when church is over. But anyway, and it goes on to say in verse 16, You shall know them by their fruit. And then he goes on to say this, Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bringeth forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, By their fruit, you shall know them. So what those verses are teaching us is that the tree's got to be right. You can't have the fruit without the tree being right. And so that's what that's teaching us 
in, that, in those verses of Scripture. So what it says is that the heart must be right before the conduct is right. That is just simply true. And only a righteous man can produce the fruits of righteousness in the sight of God. Only a righteous man can do that. And this is a marvelous miracle of His grace. It is a part of the new nature which we received in our relationship with the Lord. A new heart and a new nature is said to be the working of God. It is His workmanship. And friend, I want to tell you, if you know the Lord, the Bible says this about you, that you are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that He hath before ordained that you should walk therein or walk in them. That's what the Bible says. And you know, that's really what I was preaching this morning. That when grace is there, and grace is working, that force of grace, it is producing God's will in the life of the individual. That's what it does. It always does that. It never fails to do that. It is God's work that it's talking about. So as I was sharing with you this morning... Can this be an identifying mark of a true Christian? That they bear the fruits of righteousness. And I have an outline in one of my Bibles about that, about the fruit, what it is, how, how it's born. And um, I never thought to look at that. It was a really good set of notes that I put in the flyleaf of my Bible. But it's an important thing. You see, it wouldn't be a mark of a true Christian if we thought like some think that God saves somebody, He forgives their sin, and then He writes their name in the book of life. How many times have you heard that? That's not true. The book of life was written before the foundation of the world. The Bible is very clear about that. Very clear about that. This idea that when someone comes to Christ that he writes their name in the book of life is not true. It is simply not true, even though it's believed by a lot of people. But if a person thinks that way and that God saves someone and then puts them on probation for the rest of their life to see how they act and how it's going to turn out in the end, that's the way a lot of people believe. But you know what? That's not true. It simply is not true. I just believe in a God of purpose. I just believe that everything God does, He does with purpose. And it's perfect, the purpose. And what He does is going to accomplish His will. I don't think I've got this written in my Bible. Boy, I wish... Oh, oh yes, I've got it written in here. Let me share with you something that Arthur W. Pink said. Arthur W. Pink was a pretty fascinating fellow. He pastored, he, he was, lived over in England somewhere, and he was in the ministry, and he decided to come to the United States to get a, a Bible education and going to, and he came, and he pastored some churches. Now, he's been dead for, since about, I think, 1953 or something like that. But he pastored a couple of churches in the state of Kentucky, and uh, when he went to school, after a little while, they called him in and they said, Mr. Pink, you might as well go on and do what you're going to do in the ministry. We can't teach you anything. He was teaching them. He was a brilliant man. And he wasn't, they didn't realize 
how brilliant he was. See, when he went back to England, he didn't pastor anymore. What he did was, he wrote this newsletter. He had a, a, a thousands and thousands of people that subscribed to it, and every month it would it would be it would go out and be delivered. And uh, I forget what it's called. It's called um, uh, anyway. It doesn't matter. But I was blessed to get a hold of every year and every month that he wrote. I, I found a place that was reprinting them, and I was able to. It took me several years to get them, but I got them all. I got them all. I was talking to someone. I was ordering something on uh, by phone, and I was telling them about how, And that person couldn't believe it. You got them all? I said, yes, I got them all. So he was an awesome. He, he wrote the most important book that anybody has ever wrote, written, this side of the Bible, is called... The sovereignty of God. Brother Jim said amen because he acquired that book and he has read it. And over the years there's been many times that I've suggested that book to people. As a matter of fact, just not long ago, a pastor friend of mine, he may, be listen, he may listen to this message. He won't be listening to it tonight because he's preaching. But he's been digging up the, the sermons from here and listening to them and well thank God thank God I mean you know and he's been in the ministry many years and and he has come to realize I think that there's some things he needs to learn and it wasn't long ago that I uh, I shared with him you need to get this book here's where you get it at here's where you can order it and so he's gotten it but I will tell you something it will change your life it will change your life because it's not his opinion is it brother Jim it's the scripture I never seen anything written with so much scripture involved in that if he makes a point he'll back it up with scripture and so that's true about all of these newsletters over the years many years that he wrote every single month sending one out everything he wrote he would he would back it up with Scripture. He would prove it with the Scripture. And, you know, he's not like some of these authors who they may write a whole book and not put one passage of Scripture in any of it. I ain't got no use for that stuff. I don't want to know what somebody else thinks. I want to know what the Lord thinks. <laughs> I want to know what His will is. Arthur W. Pink wrote this, wrote this about God. And the point I'm making is that the Bible teaches us that God always accomplishes what He sets out to accomplish. There are people, their belief about God is blasphemous. And listen to what Arthur Pink said. He said this, A God whose will is resisted, whose designs are frustrated, whose purpose is checkmated, has no claim to the title of deity and is no fit object of worship and merits nothing but contempt. Now those are powerful words. But that's exactly what a lot of people think about God. That, that His uh, designs can be frustrated, His purpose can be checkmated, His claim... And, and those things, his will resisted, 
If that's true about God, He has no claim to deity. I want you to know what I think tonight. I think Almighty God is Almighty God. I believe that everything that takes place in this world is either by His directive will or His permissive will. You might say, well, God didn't direct this to happen or that to happen. Well, if He didn't direct it to happen, I'll tell you what He did. He permitted it to. He didn't have to permit it to happen, but He permitted it to. And He has a purpose in everything He does. And I believe that the person who claims to be a Christian don't have that kind of grasp of Almighty God has got a problem. Has got a problem. So God, God's will is always done. Can this be a mark of a true Christian? Well, look with me in First in John in chapter number 2. In 1 John in chapter number 2, and uh, it is in verse number 29. So does this mark a true Christian? Now I want you to listen real careful to this verse. If you know that He is righteous, now we know that about Him, don't we? Amen. There's no question about that. That means that everything he does is right. What do you think about that? Everything he does is right. If we know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of God. Did that verse answer the question? I said, is this a mark of the truly saved, that they bear the fruits of righteousness, the Bible says that it is. That this is one of the ways that we can know that we are born of God. It distinguishes, there's true two groups of people that are described in the Bible. One group this is in the book of Ephesians. You don't have to turn to this. It's in chapter 2, verse 2. It uses this term, children of disobedience. And he puts in that, you, you can look that up when you get, get home tonight. You can read it. The first verse says, uh, You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. If you ask me what does it mean to be saved, it means that you've been raised from the dead. <laughs> How do you like that? That's exactly what it means. And you hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. And then he goes on to describe the unconverted. And he calls them children of disobedience. But then there's another group. And uh, this has become my favorite statement in the best known psalm in all of the psalms. The best known psalm is... 23, the Lord is my shepherd, and on it goes. I want to tell you about a statement that's made in that psalm that distinguishes some people from the children of disobedience. And here's what it says. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. 
Well, you think about that. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. Christian, you bear the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're wearing it. I'm wearing it. And I want to tell you a mark of everyone that's wearing it is that He leadeth us in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. Now I've run out of time, but I've got more to say about this verse of Scripture. As you know, I'm well known for that. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen if I'm Lord lets me preach another 25 or 30 years and keep studying the Bible. I'll just one day settle on a passage of Scripture. It's like that one in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through verse 14, what Jesus is up to. He has redeemed us from all iniquity and purifying unto Himself a particular people zealous of good works. Don't you forget it. That's exactly what He's doing. Regardless of what I do, or you do, that's what he's doing. And he's going to achieve it. Because guess what? Not only have I got to live with him throughout all eternity, but he's got to live with me too. <laughs> and oftentimes I've made the remark, you know, the Lord's going to have to change me and keep on changing me and keep on changing me. And uh, I found that that was true in Isaiah 65. There's a verse in there that's powerful. But I want you to know tonight, it is a natural thing for a saved person to bear the fruits of righteousness. Father, we praise you and thank you for who you are and for what you do. We thank you for what you're doing doing in our lives. We thank you that you haven't given up on us. I thank you personally you haven't given up on me. I need you to lead me and guide me because the desire of my heart is the desire of all who are participating in this time period of worship is to please you. And if that's not one's desire, then something is wrong. So bless us tonight. Uh, You accomplish your purpose and your will in our lives as we sing this closing hymn. In Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. Now would you stand with me? And Brother Ricky is going to lead us in a closing number.